0: Hello! Welcome to the Mind Buffs Podcast. I am your host, Max DeMuasek, and today we are beginning a series looking at identity. We're going to be talking a lot about athletic identity today, but for those of you that haven't played sports or maybe sports was a part of your past, Just think about your identity as a parent, as a friend, as an employee, as a boss. We're looking at healthy and unhealthy ways to relate to identity and specifically we're going to be looking at our values and how that plays a significant role into who we are and how we define our identity. And how we're going to start things off is by introducing our co-host for today, Nick Johnson. He is a former professional hockey player and sports psychologist at MindBuffs. And I will just let him introduce himself. And we're going to get cracking on talking about that transition from being a collegiate athlete to starting his pro career. So, Nick, fire away. Well, thank you, Matt. Yeah,
1: as he mentioned, I am Nick Johnson. I am a registered provisional psychologist here in the province of Alberta. I'm working at Mind Buffs for over a year now, I think I can say. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the profession has been a joy. Um, yeah, I guess a little bit about myself, I hail from the beautiful city of Calgary. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I played minor hockey all the way up until, did not make Midget AAA my first year, but uh, Midget AA, I still consider to be maybe the most fun year of my life, huh. um, hockey-wise. Um, and then got picked up by Saint Albert Saints. The last two years they were in Saint Albert before they moved to Spruce Grove. So uh, two years there, met my wife in grade twelve there, good old Saint Albert Catholic High School, <laughs> and uh, kept in touch with her. But went to Dartmouth College four years, got a degree, and a bachelor's, uh, bachelor of arts in uh, majoring psychology. Was able to graduate a little bit early and nice. went to pro in the spring of two thousand eight for Wilkes-Barre. So I signed with Pittsburgh, a two way contract, and. Joined Wilkes as they kind of uh, wrapped up their season and went all the way to the finals. Uh, we lost in the finals. Oh. But uh, that was that. I did end up playing my first NHL games two years, my second full year of uh, pro. Played more, well, played more in the third, but then got hurt. So that was a, another interesting yeah. experience. Yeah. And then kind of bounced around, got picked up by Minnesota. Then Phoenix was a lockout year. And then Boston, and I only played a couple games did not do very well but then I figured <laughs> it was enough of that so I went to Sweden yeah. kind of closed out since then I've had four children Thanks. We, we live live near St. Albert and uh yeah I can be more kind of like kind of blessed with where we're at and like yeah. I think it's been a good uh, transition to this new new profession yeah. and yeah, new different identities, I guess. Oh man, you're going to make this
0: so easy for me. You've got so many different chapters in your life. (laughs) So like, yeah, this will be really cool to kind of explore all those different areas. Um, we're definitely going to spend our time looking at kind of that transition from college to pro, but I mean, you just threw something out there and I just, I have to understand like why you just made that comment. Why was your midget AA year still one of like your most fondest like experiences as a hockey player?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I, there was some some pain, I guess, in terms of being cut. Um, I certainly wasn't kind of a golden boy in, in the Calgary hockey scene. I was always a smart player, kind of maybe not an aggressive player. Uh, but I think I did, I did get hurt in the mid-AAA tryouts. But even if I had been playing my best, would they have picked me? I don't know. But I think it was just like – it was one of those chances that I could – play more, be Mm. a bit more of a leader. I Mm kind of came out of my shell a little bit more that Mm. year. And we, the coaches were like, we just had skill practices all the time. We pushed the nets together at the center and just played three on three all the time. That's so cool. And I don't know. I mean, I I know we must've had systems, but there was like, the coaches weren't in it to kind of move up. They were kind of like rough guys from Forest Lawn in Calgary. Like, (laughs) just like, I think they were kind of like hard guys in a way. Like they're like, they were pretty blue collar, but they, they just like, let us, let us play and use our skill. I think they picked our team more on the skill whereas the other coach picked some different variations yeah. of, of aggressiveness or whatever and uh we just i don't know we had a blast we i think we were third or fourth
0: in provincials but uh, we won swept the cities and awesome. yeah, it was
1: just like a great year Three,
0: that's really cool yeah, yeah. i hadn't uh, i didn't know that that was something that um <clears throat> that you kind of reflect on and be dang like that was a good fun year i can kind of just be free be loose and really focus on skills that's that's a lot of fun so I I guess I'm really curious about like what was going on for you when you were finishing your last year of college and um, when you started thinking about pro hockey and just kind of how all of that unfolded that transition.
1: Yeah, there's I think there's there's many layers, many different. Um, yeah, I guess like uh, levels of the onion. Or <laughs> I do not think that's right. That's not how you say it. But <laughs> multiple levels. I, I think a couple streams include. Kind of like, you know, growing up from a minor hockey kid to playing junior to then playing college. And in a way, knowing that's what I really wanted. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think parents in a way kind of more wanted me to just like make sure I got into med school or, or, you know, had a job that maybe they understood more. Right. So kind of differentiating myself and what I really wanted. Uh, Actually, both my parents went to that school, Dartmouth College. And so there was a lot of history there. My My mom was, or I guess I was sixth or seventh generation, like of, it's quite a a story. Like my, uh, so my great grandma lived in the town. My great grandfather was the Dean of Admissions in like the forties. He had a heart attack on the library steps. That's how he passed away in in like the, I think the forties. Holy crap. So my mom was the second year of like, they allowed women in in and 75. She was like the second you know, she was, there was one class before her, but then she was a second in in part of the second class. Wow. Wow. Um, so just that we have a ton of history out in kind of the Northeastern States, like through my mom's side. So there's kind of like a lot of weight there that, you know, just growing up near Calgary and idolizing hockey. And that's another part we'll, we'll discuss later, but (laughs) that's kind of the road I was really kind of hoping to, to go. And it was this big you know, was, but I was part of something bigger myself. And so yeah. there was a lot of kind of like external pressures that, you know, were blessings really. Like I got to play in front of my, you know, mother's side of the family. I'd never really, yeah not just playing in front of them, but like seeing them often, you know, it was, you know, obviously not how I grew up. We'd see them every other year kind of thing. Um, so those kind of things, but also, yeah, just how much weight I put into hockey. Yeah. Which is kind of a problem when you're, when you're leaving college and all of a sudden you're joining kind of the pro ranks and almost like idolize or it's more putting the pro up on a pedestal as like, I don't know if I belong. I'm going to have to be absolutely perfect to like do anything up there. And I had some kind of low confidence beliefs anyways. Right. So it's quite the couple that, years. Yeah. Th-
0: those kinds of thoughts, that, that mentality, did you have similar feelings as you like would go from midget to junior and like junior to, to college? Or was it really an experience you first had when you were like, Oh wow, I'm like, I'm a professional hockey player now.
1: Yeah. I think I, f- I mean, I knew I always I wasn't like the best in town or the top 40 in town really. But I, I, knew i was always pretty good i think i was like fairly arrogant in a way too like i i could go on the ice and and just like play and i don't know what happened but like i just like yeah maybe when i was moving up levels that kind of just got stripped away and Mm -hmm. then i was left with like okay what how do i how do i get confidence now yeah when you're a kid you're just playing and it's like this is so easy and i i'm just like it's kind of like my playing style is the best way and i knew i wasn't like, like super aggressive or like the best skater and stuff but like i knew i brought something so yeah. i had a reason to kind of be like ultra confidence but yeah like even as i joined junior and i was um i guess what a 17 year old i guess they almost cut me like they were pretty close they they kind of told me at the end of the year um but i was kind of like oblivious to that i was huh. just like and major double a went really well and they yeah. picked me out of major double a and which is like kind of rare but, yeah definitely but i just Like, I was kind of like, I'm going and I'm going to play and I didn't really think about it. And when the coach got mad at me a couple of times, we're like, maybe not scoring or not providing enough. Like it was kind of those first times of like kind of dealing with that. Like, oh, you have to like think about my game and kind
0: of from a higher level. Yeah, it's it's interesting that 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 last thing you just shared um, with all the different athletes that we work with. Sometimes we hear of our little eight year old athletes. That experience that for the first time of having yeah. a coach get mad at them for not performing, and all of a sudden just the state of shock of like what what do I what what do I do with what's what's just happened to me yeah. and then some people don't get that until they're eleven fifteen junior college it's just it's a lot of luck yeah. and it's about whether or not we have the people or the coping skills to kind of like respond to those first experiences, but I, I'm I guess I'm curious, how the hell did you respond with those first harsh moments with the coach?
1: <laughs> maybe the first time would have been in Bantam. I remember a couple things like that, but yeah. ultimately, you know, my spot on the team was kind of like secure. So even yeah. though there was like plays and stuff that the coach maybe yelled, maybe not. I don't remember. Yeah, but yeah, I think I didn't really have. I don't know. I think, like, in a way, my identity was wrapped up in performance. So, when that wasn't going well, I had no kind of base, I guess, value system. I had no base, base kind of metric or, like, reason why to, like, feel good about myself or, mm-hmm. you know, it was, like, all stripped away. Mm-hmm. And so, I had to just like reinvent the wheel it felt like see, i can see how kids really if things aren't going well you know it's kind of external it's not out in their control like yeah. you know pressures on them from the coach or whatever i can see how it's they feel like they're floundering and they they're just not comfortable and they'd kind of do anything to escape it in a way yeah um so yeah i don't know it, it, it definitely was a learning process over it. that's kind of why i thought those college years into pro was like such a, especially kind of getting to the higher level of like,
0: oh, I better figure this out kind of mm. thing. It took a while. Mm-hmm. So then when you look at your first kind of couple skates um, in Wilkes-Barre and just being in that environment, like, yeah, what was, what was that experience like?
1: There's actually a lot of laughter. It was, it was a very... It was quite like laid back um, environment, even though the coaching staff kind of had a different view of that maybe. But the guys around the room (laughs) were like, you know, Bissonette, like those kind of guys were on the team. Uh, I remember uh, there's a really funny story. I won't share all of it. We had like a team building (laughs) thing within a week of me being there. So they didn't know much about me. But basically we were supposed to write good things about all our teammates and everyone would pass their paper around the room and everyone would have a chance to write a good thing and so our our basically our chief like clown comedian wrote one of the funniest things ever on our fighters <laughs> sheet um he, he like got mad he's like you had one chance to say something good about me and the whole room was just like absolutely dying laughing it was a really <laughs> funny thing that he wrote and so like that kind of environment was like funny um but like learning the hockey side i put yeah. such a pe- i put it on such a pedestal i remember mm-hmm. so dan Biles was a coach that was there and then he went to Pittsburgh like the next year and mm. they ended up winning um and he like laid through all the systems and all these like yeah pro ways to think about different plays mm. and at the very end he's like yeah but eventually like when you're in a game you just have to kind of like pull this out of your head but I'm like I'm like trying to like I need to do this this so like <laughs> as I started to like be a pro and like prepare for a game I had probably like thousands of thoughts in my head oh my I had to be perfect
0: and it was just not good it sounds like before pro, when you were playing at your best and, and being in that flow state or, or or zone, there was a real like intuitive relationship to, to your game. And it was mm. just this kind of creative flow state of just feeling it out and, and not having any thoughts. And then as soon as you're trying to download all of this professional data, all of a sudden it feels like, okay, I got to think of all these things and make sure that I'm approaching things differently because I'm a pro now. Yeah. But in actuality, if you had just done exactly what you were doing before... Yeah. It's, you know, and this is, I've brought this up with clients. It's a very
1: interesting line because I think you do need that kind of critical side of yourself to look Mm -hmm. at your game and to learn kind of better ways of doing things. Yeah. But doing it during the game is not a good idea. You know, like you, like you said, it's gotta be just a natural, really it is getting into flow is so kind of advised and, and you can't be in the present moment when you're kind of criticizing or thinking about I should have done it this way or, you know, but at the same time, learning those lessons was value. Like, I think there's a much better way I could have done it, but I learned how to be like a fourth liner and I'm like forever grateful for that because like I knew that I had that kind of skill in my back pocket and I think I was way too careful for the first two Mm -hmm. years in the minors to like pull it out more. Yeah. But when I did have a chance to get the NHL... I could think on a much higher level. And as a third, fourth liner, I could actually go out there and like, yeah, work hard and do all the correct things, but still have enough smarts and skills. Like, you know, if we chipped in a, with mm-hmm. a goal, every third game as like a fourth liner,
0: that's like mm-hmm. pretty good. Right. So it sounds like you were able to develop or update this new identity of like, okay, hey, like this is what it takes to be like mm-hmm. a third or fourth liner. Or, this is what I look like as a third or fourth liner. Um, but early when you talked about the the pressures of, playing pro for the first time you said that you kind of like put it up on this pedestal oh, yeah. so i guess how would you describe like your identity and how you maybe looked at it differently or defined it differently from like college to professional
1: yeah i think so my college experience was, was pretty amazing and and the hockey was was good we were ivy league so we didn't get to play as many games um and i think like you know going from midget a to junior where you're playing like 60 games a year wearing a half Pfizer. yeah like i went to school i did well in school and then would go to the rank, and so it was it was kind of like that totalizing junior experience where it's like this is what i'm doing now in a way and it was like mm. the first years i got to experience that mm. but going back to college it was kind of like it was hard to manage all the different stresses oh yeah Um, and we played less games and it was, I felt it was more of like, kind of like a, it certainly was like an Eastern kind of prep school kind Mm. of atmosphere. And I kind of did miss Canada. I did miss the junior idea. Mm. And so getting back to pro where it really is basically just like a glorified junior with so many games and less practicing and less working out. Um, I kind of, I don't know why, but I started to like doubt that I could do that again Mm. Um, and I, I don't know, like our school wasn't the best, like we weren't in Michigan and we're like, we, we did have a lot of good players, but, um, it was kind of just like, I don't know if I have what it takes to like play with better players kind of thing, totally which is kind of interesting now to think back, um, you know, so many players come from everywhere and you look at like, Oh, you watch an NFL game or something. And all these players come from all these different schools and a lot of them, you never really heard of the schools. Right. But it's like just cause you know, a player goes to Alabama and football doesn't mean he's going to make the NFL. Uh-huh. Right? Same thing. You, you go to Boston college or Michigan or Minnesota, like so many of those guys don't, don't make the NHL. Right. It's, it's, but it's, the, that's kind of the way young people think. In a
0: well, well, it's, I don't actually, I, I don't think it's the way that young people think. I think it's just the way that like sport thinks. I think about sure. how, I mean, you look at all the difference, especially in um like in, in hockey, at least in Alberta. And I think it's happening more across the country too, but there's all these different minor hockey leagues now. Yeah. And then and all of a sudden there's like junior leagues that are trying to defect and like create their own league. It's like this idea of salesmanship that, coaches and scouts and these different leagues are trying to sell that this is how you become successful this is the right path and so then you look at parents who are just forking up tons of money for their players to play like academy hockey or these other kinds of things because they're being sold this idea that if you want your child to have the highest chance to be able to play in the Olympics or be a professional athlete. This is the right path. And I know that's the case in junior, like, Hey, am I playing for a top three junior team or am I playing for a team that every year we think is going to fold? Am I playing in one of the most elite like NCAA schools or am I playing for some podunk like, (laughs) like school? So there's definitely a lot of identity built into where we play hockey Actually, there, there's a story. Um, one of my clients, um, who, who plays, uh, who plays college sports. And, and there is this feeling of when he wears his colors, when he is wearing the, the pants and the helmet in front from a school, there's this feeling of like pride of like, you know, this is the school that I, I play at. And, and when he doesn't have that gear on, it's like, it's a little bit more difficult to access that confidence because there isn't this visual representation of like look I'm good because this he's an amazing hockey player but it just kind of helps that feeling of walking into a room with new people being like look yeah it's, a, it's social currency right it kind of helps them yeah i can see that for sure mm-hmm. so when we look at um values and that's really what I wanted to to speak about today were you aware acutely of your values as you got older and maybe how they changed? Or was it something more like in hindsight, you can be like, Oh wow, like I really was changing my relationship to hockey because of X, Y, Z. Yeah.
1: Um, it's hard. Like I was always a very nice kid. It's very, I guess I was, I don't know if I was sensitive. I think when I was very young, I was quite sensitive, just like a really. You know, I'd really follow what parents and everyone taught us about, you know, the golden rule and being nice and everything and sharing. And like, I didn't really like games. I didn't really like, you know, ego games. I didn't really like um, just like chirping each other. But I think, I don't know what it is. Maybe it was just my perception of it, but I feel like kids take it too far. They don't, maybe they just don't quite understand. Some kids don't understand kind of like the rules and engagement of like chirping each other <laughs> or like making fun of each other. Like yeah. I I kind of do it now yeah. and i, I understand and i think the people that i'm doing it with like we kind of speak that language yeah but maybe i as a kid didn't get that or or it was just plain like malicious and like kids take it too far and right. say the wrong things but so i always had those like those good values but i think i yeah as i kind of grew certainly the culture around me like corrupted me a bit yeah um and so I kind of realized, and you know, in this kind of period, like the university early pro period, um, I realized that kind of like selling myself out to kind of chase what others kind of desired, and and there's some there's some pretty you know, I wasn't really hazing, but like some kind of heinous stuff, right? Like oh, yeah. that I see some teammates kind of do, and, yeah. It just like, yeah, the, the arrogance of like basically thinking you're a better person because you, you know, can you know how to skate around an ice and <laughs> shoot a puck around, right? <laughs> um, just kind of this like status, right? Yeah. So I I think like corrupting and selling myself into that, I kind of like eventually eventually woke me up. Mm. Um, and that's the biggest thing that I then I'm kind of going on this basically this journey of like who who am I still? Like, do I have this childhood sense of Right and wrong, etc. et etc. Cetera, et cetera. Um, so yeah, that was a that was a long time.
0: So you talk about this this moment where you kind of had this wake up call. Was it an actual moment, or was it like a process over a year? Like what what was going on?
1: Yeah, it was a process. I think
0: I I don't know. I don't know if this might be a
1: good way to explain. It. Like I was never kind of the cool kid, especially kind of minor hockey, maybe junior also. As like I wasn't you know, one of the, one of the cool kids that hockey certainly has had and still has a problem with. Yeah. Um, but kind of when I, when I went to college, it's not that I kind of became one of those bad, cool kids, but it's just like, I kind of had that status strangely, like, huh. you know, not as much as some of my other teammates, no. but I kind of got that status in a way. Mm-hmm. And so it, it does change you, but then eventually it kind of like over the process of, yeah, a couple of years, like like it just it just kind of created problems really or like it it, i don't know like i didn't feel like it came from myself like i feel like it was others like i said it's kind of like a social currency about what others kind of see as desirable but it never yes. felt like i feel like i or i felt like i could never really own it or hold it and so eventually i just i wanted more than that yeah. you know and it didn't it didn't, it wasn't satisfying me. Like, you know, the world wasn't satisfying me in that way.
0: Totally. That, that experience, uh, I just immediately think of a word like disconnection um, and like identity disconnection where you are describing yourself as being like a really kind, like more like sensitive person. I mean, right away I hear that and I go, well, that doesn't sound like a hockey player, right? Just that download. Right. Yeah. We have that <laughs> quick reaction, right? hundred percent. And so for you, like, having your personality and the values in your family, like you would have felt that tension, that disconnect between like who you felt like you were, but who you felt like hockey was telling you to be. And we see this all the time with our athletes of whether it's the culture of the specific team or the demands of the sport um, itself of being like, I feel this way. And yet I feel like everyone else around me is only rewarding me or encouraging me to be this person. And, and that disconnect is actually, that's a significant issue because when we look at, being in the zone and, and flow state theory of being in that sweet spot of being just fully focused and present. We can't be in flow state if we're disconnected with any part of ourselves. So when you think about being like, man, like, I don't know if I jive with this culture. Like I, the, the role that that coach has me playing just really doesn't feel like it's playing to my strengths. We are like swimming up upstream, man. right? It's a harder, it's not really flow state. It's more like dancing around flow state, trying
1: to get in it. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I had this this thing happen when I was um in Phoenix, kind of, and, and you know, this obvious disconnection about what I kind of wanted to do and what maybe the socially accepted on the team um, thing was. I guess I'll mention, too, first is that I think everybody, everybody on a team, not everybody, but most people on the team would think that they're only getting value because of what, you know, the other kids want or, you know, that, like, currency thing, but... I think it's like there's more kids than you, th- than you would think that are that would like to kind of live more authentically, yes. right? But it's kind of like it's it's too dangerous. Yes. And so it's like it's this kind of this sad loop of everybody kind of either being quiet about it or joining kind of the bad kids and making fun of the other kids, right? It's, totally. it's this kind of sad thing. Um, so, yeah, even in the pro, that was certainly there. And the guys that were kind of more like – upright about their values, or just like more vocal about it. Yeah. They'd kind of get like mocked behind their back kind of thing. Right. And so you, you kind of didn't want to be one of those guys, but at the same time, at least for myself, it became so painfully obvious that I had to live the way I wanted to live and, and follow the values I wanted to follow. Yeah. Um, and whether or not I would like, you know, preach them on other people. Right. But it was like, you know, kind of being an easy target. I didn't really want that. But at the same time, it was like so obvious. I knew what I wanted. Um, And so I'll kind of share like, you know, when I was in Phoenix and just got engaged and I had a friend, you know, a good friend who's basically just like, like, why the why the heck would you do that? You know, like you're kind of like young in the league. Like you should be like going out and like partying in a way. And I knew for me, like that was kind of a joke. Like I would never do that at this point. But in a way, I kind of felt that he he understood, he understood the situation, and he was kind of right in a way. Huh. Like I I've heard of a bunch of guys that that do that, yeah, and they do get that currency from coaches who also do that, hundred percent from managers that probably do that too. And so that that really was a real thing in the culture of like, oh, he's kind of like a good team guy because he's willing to kind of sell himself. And do things he really shouldn't be doing.
0: I mean, listen, there, there's a reason why in the last four to five years, especially in hockey Canada, we've been hearing all these stories of like sexual misconduct, sexual abuse, and just like womanizing in general, because it's, yeah, it's fucking shit. But like, it's a, it's a part of the culture of hockey. It's the part of the culture of a lot of different elite level sport, uh, especially men's sport, where it is social currency to be seen as a player. Mm -hmm. right and you are rewarded for being that person it still happens we are trying to make changes and Hockey Canada is super scared right now and they are making a lot of decisions to free themselves up from ever having to be in the front page news ever again Um, but it genuinely is a problem in sport and man I can imagine in that situation knowing that based on what I say next, I'm either going to be the sheep that follows what everyone's doing, or I will fully establish myself as being different than everyone here. That That must have been such a weird moment.
1: Yeah. Like, I don't know, even like, you know, one of the, one of the more famous Phoenix guys was he, he's on, he's on uh, podcasts and uh, national networks now and stuff. And He's kind of like, why would you do that? Like, you know, like you should live with them first. Or like, he he was not a guy that would even do that. He was quite the player himself. Yeah. But it it felt like a statement just to like not do what they wanted me to do. Like it's like it wasn't like that hard, but it felt like there was pressure that I was actually fighting against just by yeah. simply living the way I wanted. And it's it's kind of sad, but but ultimately I knew that even though, like I said, my, my friend made that comment and I kind of felt he was kind of right. It was like, at that point it was like, there's no way I'm going back to to selling myself short again. Like, yeah. it's just, it does, it does nothing for me. Like it's yeah. so abhorrent to my yeah. kind of soul and, and what I went through that I can't, I can't do that and I don't care what the consequences are. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I d- I'm still glad to this day that yeah. I kind of made decisions like that.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's really difficult. Um Some of these things that we've been touching on about like athletic identity and social expectations and and things like that. Um this is actually really funny. Uh, there's a theory called identity foreclosure and it uh, was coined by a uh, Canadian uh, researcher and psychologist, uh, James Marsha and Nick and I. Both use this in our thesis when we were finishing grad school. Totally different times. Yeah. <laughs> like we, I graduated about six, seven years ago and, and Nick is just about, a year and a half kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. A year and a half ago. And we'd never met each other, never talked to each other. And we both thought out that we wrote the exact, use the exact same theory to speak to this experience of identity foreclosure. Uh, this theory is not specifically used in sport, but we both read it and clearly had the same experience of like holy shit like this perfectly describes what it's like to be an athlete so essentially identity foreclosure is we isolate our identity oftentimes because we think that in order to be the best student the best athlete the best mother the best employee that we need to become obsessive over it we need to put every egg in that basket it reminds me of Oh God, it's one of my least favorite videos of all time. There's this speech by Arnold Schwarzenegger about 10 or 15 years ago when he's speaking to some um, prep prep school in the States and talking about how like you become successful by never having a plan B. I remember almost throwing something at the TV when I heard it because I was like, this is going to get tens of millions of views and people are going to eat this up. And they're going to think that this is your plan for success. There is no freaking data. There is no research on planet Earth that says that you must become obsessive and only have plan A to be successful. It's not a thing. He is a genetic freak that grew up with a lot of privilege that was able to find the perfect niche. He is a outlier. You got all of these people on social media. um I think Tate is one of the guys I'm thinking of. And there's all these guys that are flashing their big lives and their big currency. Like, oh, I figured it out. No, they got lucky. They they won the genetic lottery or they just won life lottery. When we become obsessive and have just one part of ourself that we focus on, as soon as we begin to feel like it's slipping or that we're not playing well or that our kids are starting to pull away from us, we have this horrible existential crisis of like, oh my God, like, I'm a failure, I'm nothing, like, what if this doesn't work? Oh my God. When we have a more well-rounded identity, it doesn't take away from what might be the most important part of our identity, but it makes it easier for us to take the blows, to experience the uncontrollable stressful situations and know that, hey, I'll be okay, even if the worst does happen. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think ultimately it's finding
1: like yeah the different identities we have can be all very good like me playing hockey i think was a very good thing i you know learned a lot a lot of life lessons but also got you know tangible things out of it but at the same time i think there's like there's something underneath you know it's kind of i always think of values and even identities as kind of like a keyboard you know and there's all the keys on the keyboard but at the same time we need something kind of above and beyond that (laughs) and to know that you know, we are valuable beyond a certain identity and a certain over-obsession with with an identity, a certain identity
0: like uh, like athletics. Don't just keep smashing the same letter on the keyboard. That's not going to produce a wonderful essay. Is that that what you're trying to say? Yeah, it's going to be kind of a boring song, right? (laughs) And so this concept of uh, athletic identity, identity for closure and values. This is something that we're going to be able to extrapolate on in the next couple episodes that we will be recording and we'll get many more juicy stories from, from Nick. Uh, I'll have a lot of different experiences, um, both as a hockey player, as a correctional officer, which I had uh, done before. I was a psychologist and a lot of different just aspects of life where when we overcommitted ourselves to just one aspect of self, it actually created more stress than it did improve our performance. And um, I hope that these are concepts that you find relatable and, and are looking forward to learning more about because um, we'll, we'll de- dive a bit deeper into more of, of Nick's kind of professional career and eventually get to talking about stories of transition away from that dominant identity. Again, whether it is you were a professional athlete or you were a dancer or a musician and it doesn't matter what it is whenever we transfer from that huge part of our life where we've devoted so much time and effort that shit sucks like it's hard it hurts but there's a necessary moratorium as it's called in that same theory with identity foreclosure that that we need to be able to go through so that we can take everything we've learned from that experience and bring it into that new version of ourselves.
1: Yeah, it's like kind of a weighing of how much am I still in this one identity? How can I explore moratorium kind of idea? Other parts of myself, other threads of myself, add more things, find more passions. And often those make your, you know, if, if it's athletics, but it makes your athletic pursuits and identity even more fulfilling. hundred percent.
0: And and that's what we'll go into more detail um, in our next episodes. And um, just talking about just the concept of our values and how when it comes to the biggest, most difficult decisions that we make in our life, we need to filter that decision through what our values are. And I know most people have never really done that kind of work to really look at, well, well who am I and what are my values, but it can really help you design your life based on what your values are and not what your subconscious thinks your values are and so we will be exploring those kinds of concepts in the coming episodes so again nick i want to thank you so much for sharing your story today yeah it was a joy so thanks i'm looking forward to this (laughs) and you will hear nick and i again in the coming weeks and we look forward to you guys coming and hanging out with us again thanks guys